0: I'm Laura Green. Welcome to the Sapphic Book Review Podcast, the show that brings you the best in sapphic fiction. Join me as I chat with authors, narrators, and friends who share my love for the genre. You will learn things you didn't know about your favorites and get some suggestions for your next read. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe. Welcome to the Sapphic Book Review Podcast. Reading books from today's guest always puts a smile on my face and makes me want to visit London. Claire Lydon, welcome, and thanks for being here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. In November, you released The Christmas Catch. You've written several books set during Christmas. What is the appeal of writing a book set during the holiday, and how did you and your wife celebrate this year?
1: I mean, I think it's pretty well documented that I just really love Christmas. I love the run-up to Christmas more than I actually love the day itself, but I think that's quite common, isn't it? But, you know, that magical couple months before when everything is just possible, the food, the lights, music, the bonhomie—I think it brings out. Well, I mean, I mean, I know not for everyone. I know Christmas is quite stressful for a lot of people, and you know it always brings stress as well. But I think it also brings out the best in people. You know, people have that Christmas cheer, or maybe that's just all the Hallmark movies I watch. I don't know, um, <laughs> but it—it it, it definitely brings out the best in me. I, I love watching the festive movies. I—I started watching them in September, and then I then I thought, Claire, this is too early. So uh, then I switched it to October. I think I must have watched at least 50 this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some of them are even pretty good. I mean, you know, they used to be super cheesy, but now they do have sarcasm and stuff. So, you know, that's good. It appeals to my British sense of humour. But I guess I've never really stumbled across sapphic festive books until a few years ago, maybe about five, six years ago. And they always had the occasional gay side character, normally men. And that goes with holiday movies as well. So I wanted to write books that show that women can live in cheesy settings and kiss in snowstorms and have all manner of festive frolic too. So I love writing Christmas books as well. I get to do that and I get to live in Christmas all year round and he wouldn't love that? And what we did this year, uh, we had quite a quiet Christmas this year, actually. We saw friends and family in the weeks beforehand, but we spent the actual day, just the two of us. Um, it's only the second time we've done that. And so it was super relaxed. I'm one of eight children. I've got oh a really big gosh. family. Yeah. Christmas, when I was growing up, it was always very chaotic and very loud. My wife is an only child. So hers was the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so this year, we, you know, I think I'm coming around to her relaxed way of doing it. Maybe I'm getting older as well. So I don't like the chaos as much anymore. But we went for a walk. We had a pint in the local gay bar. And then we came back and we cooked scallops, lamb rack and noirs, And we had mince pine custard and the cheese board. So we still ate loads. And we played loud music and sang all evening. So it was really fun. Um, and then the new year, we went to the South Coast. So that was really nice. I took two full weeks off work, which is very difficult to do when you're running your own business because the laptop's always there. So it was nice to have some downtime to end 2022 ready
0: for the new year. Sounds very relaxing. Yeah. How about you? What did you do? I saw my family the week before Christmas. Went to my big family dinner with like 30 of my, family members. So that was chaotic because I am the plaything for all the little kids. The (laughs) six-year-old on my shoulders. I had the 11-year-old around my waist. But then Christmas Day, it was just us, just um, my partner, our two kids, and her mother. So that was nice. And then New Year's, we didn't do anything. We literally just sat around watching CSI all day long and eating a lot of cheese, more cheese than really anyone needs.
1: We've still got cheese. Do you want some bars? (laughs) Because I'm not a huge cheese fan, and my wife is. And she just went, bought so much cheese. And it's just sitting in the fridge
0: looking at me. I would love to come over and have your cheese. because Literally, we probably have six or eight cheeses in the fridge. And you got to space it out because you can't eat cheese constantly. That gives you a problem. No. <laughs> <laughs> your June 2022 release, It Started With A Kiss, has over 1,000 ratings on Amazon and has been shortlisted for the Kindle Storyteller Awards. Tell us about that award and about Sky and Gemma.
1: It was good that you pointed that out because I didn't realize that it got over 1,000 ratings. <laughs> so that's exciting. Yeah, it was shortlisted for the Kindle Storyteller Award, which was, which was really incredible, actually, to be sure, you know, get down to the top five out of thousands of entries. So that was a real thrill, and we had a great time at the awards, and I got a new Kindle out of it, plus some new friends, plus some champagne, so, you know, it was pretty good all around. But the inspiration for the book, it's set in a UK vineyard, and the inspiration hit when I was away with three of my um, oldest and closest friends. And we went to visit vineyard in Surrey um, in November 2021. And the vineyard was was cold. It was muddy. I'd say it wasn't romantic, but it still had a bit of something about it. Because vineyards, I think, are inherently a bit romantic, right? So I was sitting there. We were having a cheese and wine thing. And this woman, the owner, was doing her talk. And she was speaking so passionately about it. And she was telling us about how it's an organic vineyard and how they have frost alarms. And they sit up all night watching the vines by candlelight. And I thought... I just had a light bulb moment. I just thought, wow, that that sounds like a great thing to include in a in a rimmer. And then my mate who I was there with, she's a real wine buff. And so she was chatting to this owner really, really passionately and stuff. And I just, I looked at the two of them and I just thought, imagine if they've, but weren't my friend who's married and this other woman, I don't, I don't know her status. <laughs> and imagine if they were both single and imagine if they were both uh, gay and they fell for each other and, and they could sit and have the frost alarms together. So the story starts out in Cornwall where Skye lives. Skye's just found out that her ex-wife is remarrying and having the wedding at the hotel where they both work. So she drowns her sorrows, meets Gemma who owns a vineyard and they share a dynamite kiss And then when they meet again at Gemma's vineyard, it feels like fate. And the book, It Started With a kiss, tells the story of how the two of them get over their exes and learn to trust each other and find their way back to love. And unlike when I visited that vineyard in November, it's got a lot of sunshine, which a lot of readers have been very surprised to hear about. But it does actually happen, everyone in the UK. It doesn't rain all (laughs) the time.
0: I love that book. It's definitely a favorite.
1: Oh, good. Oh, that's good to know. And The Woman Who Runs the Vineyard was so helpful. I think a lot of writers go on YouTube or just you know do research online, but I like to speak to people. I think it's my journalistic background, so I was constantly on the phone to her, and she was really helpful. So I think a lot of people have said they learnt a lot about wine, which is good.
0: Can you give us a sneak peek of your next book?
1: Yes, I'm currently wrestling it at the moment like a, like a very angry alligator. Um, <laughs> I'm in the final week before it goes to the editor, so... It's kind of almost written, but there's so many loose ends to tie up. And am it's doing my nutting, as we say in the UK. But um, I've nearly got a title. I'm not sure. I like it. My wife doesn't. So maybe I should ask some other people. <laughs> but it's set in the world of football, soccer to you. I've always avoided going there before. I don't know why, because I played soccer as a kid until I was told I couldn't, because you, you're not allowed to play it or you weren't when I was a child after 11 if you were a girl. I then played at university. I wasn't very good, but I was very enthusiastic. <laughs> but now watching women play football brings brings me such joy. It's a whole new level. It's brought back my love of the game, I think, which was waning with the inherent sexism, homophobia, and money tied up in the men's game. But after the Lionesses win, I was so inspired that I decided I was going to write a football book. So it's a romance between a top player and one of the coaches. It's sort of an American... UK book because the player is American it's got fish out of water tropes it's got fame power and money all tied up in it um, there are exes waiting to bring trouble so yeah I'm hoping people are going to like it I think I'm pretty pleased with it but it's really difficult at the moment I'm in that fog of editing it will be out next year I was. it was going to be my next book but then I think I might hold it to coincide with the World Cup so we'll see
0: oh, excellent I'll be looking for it who do you think is the sexiest character you have written
1: Ooh, this one is a difficult one I think I'd probably say it's either Kate from This London Love, which is London Romance Book 2, or Jordan from Before You Say Do, And I think they share a lot of characteristics. Jordan and Kate, they both, Jordan especially has got something about her. She set up her own successful business. She knows how to talk to people, how to manage them, how to charm them, which is always sexy. And she's hot so that helps, right? Always. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's that's the uh, thing about being a writer. You can write characters that, in your head, you fancy.
0: That sounds weird, doesn't it? But you do (laughs) do fancy fictional characters, right? Oh, totally. I have so many book crushes, it's almost embarrassing.
1: Yeah. When I'm writing the characters, same thing. And I think the way she's drawn to Abby in Before You Say I Do, and tries to fight her feelings is kind of admirable. It was never going to work, though, because obviously they have to kiss at some point. But I think the way they both fight it and the way they both flirt is why the book is one of my slowest builds, also one of my most teasing. I had that story in mind to write two years before I wrote it, so maybe there's a lesson there. But yeah, probably Jordan or Kate.
0: Fabulous. If you could spend the day with only two of your couples, which two would you choose and why?
1: Okay, so <laughs> probably Kate and Meg, following on from that, from This London Love. That way I'd probably get to spend some time with the other characters as well, at least Jess and Lucy probably. From London Calling, for sure. I always loved Kate when I wrote London Calling, so much so that I penned her own book in this London love. So that was just meant to be the follow-up to London Calling. It was never meant to be a series, but then I decided it would be a series. So it's all Kate's fault, really, that <laughs> the London Romance series happened. But like I said, a little like Jordan. She's quite strong and sh- self-assured and knows what she wants. And I also love Meg for the same reason. She runs her own business, doesn't suffer calls gladly, and they're kind of perfect for each other. And they could show me all the really cool spots around Shoreditch. I don't live as near there anymore, so they still do. They still live in the heart of it, clearly. The second couple would probably be Fran and Ruby from Christmas in Mistletoe, mainly because I really want to go to Mistletoe and take part in the Christmas tree contest that they run at the Christmas tree farm. Plus, Ruby is a hot musician and I want to see her play there. I used to work in music and writing musician... They'd been a plan of mine for a long time. So I finally pulled it off in Christmas in Mistletoe. And I also want to go to Mistletoe to bar and have mulled wine and chat with all the eccentric locals. It's actually a place. It does exist. It's not called Mistletoe, but there is a village. It doesn't have a Christmas tree farm. These are all my <laughs> embellishments. <laughs> but there is actually a place that just has a shop and a few houses and a bar behind the shop. And it was so odd and fantastic
0: that I had to include it in the book. If I ever go to England, I want to go to cute little quaint villages. That's going to be a plan.
1: Yeah, definitely. You could go to the Cotswolds if you come. That's beautiful. That's a, a really lovely place. But there's there's quaint villages all over the place, actually. Essex, my home county, gets a bad rap, but it's got some fantastic little quaint villages. And in fact, Ravnest, where Mistletoe's based on, is there. But I mean, I wouldn't advise going there because <laughs> it really is just a few houses in the shop. So you probably want more than that.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Who is your favorite supporting character from one of your books?
1: This was an easy one to answer. Aunt Paula from Twice in a Lifetime. So this book is a few years old, maybe about five or six years old. I think I wrote her after reading a few Robin Alexander books a few years ago. Because Robin, I don't know if you've read any of Robin's books. Oh, yeah.
0: Lots of hers. I love them.
1: So I've only read like three or four. They're always being recommended if you like a romantic comedy. I think I've read three or four, and she always has kooky, older, eccentric women in her book who say and do whatever they want and just get away with it because they're <laughs> a course of nature. And I really liked that. So I decided to write Aunt Paula in the same way, and she really was a hoot to write. And it's it's kind of like that thing where lead characters have to kind of toe the line a bit, but secondary characters, you can get away with murder. Literally in some books, I'm guessing. Not in my <laughs> romance. And Paula has a heart of gold as well, obviously. She swoops in to help her niece out. And in return, she also meets the woman of her dreams. So, yeah, Aunt
0: Paula from twice in my Kind. Older people, they always just bring so much with their comedy and just that support that they always give.
1: Yeah, I think it's something I want to include more in future books. Yeah, because I was reading something today that I've written... And a friend of mine was saying, Oh, would you ever think about writing a book set in Ireland? Because that's where my mum's from and a lot of family heritage there. So, like, I don't think I'm going to go as far back. I know that my great grandmother was a fishmonger in Dublin, which is, oh, sorry, in Waterford, which is pretty cool. Very cool. Turn of the century, a woman basically running her own business. So, but that would require a lot of research. Probably too much for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have a great love for the city of London. What do you love most about it?
1: everything really i love the crackle of excitement on the pavements I, I just love cities but london i've traveled the world and when i came back to london i realized it really was my favorite city so it was the best place for me to live i love how it changes from area to area and one of the biggest questions i get from readers actually is i'm coming to london where should i go <laughs> everyone seems to think i'm a london travel guide which, which you know i quite like but i always say it depends on what you want to do You know, I love to walk around cities and explore them. I don't go to museums really that much. I go to the occasional gallery, but I like to go to shops, restaurants and bars. So I did a blog based on my London Romance book. So if you want to know where to go based on the (laughs) London Romance books, you can look that up on my blog. But I think my love affair with London started quite early. There's my mum and dad, even though they're not from here, they both grew up in London. And that's where they met. My mum grew up in the West. My dad grew up in the South. My grandparents lived in in West London. So I had a connection. And I think I lived about a 45-minute train ride away when I was growing up. I lived in Essex. And being gay, I think I didn't understand the reasons at first, but I wanted to get out of the small town and go somewhere bigger, somewhere I could meet other people and that I could blend in and not stand out. So London has always been like a mecca, like somewhere I always wanted to go. So I had history, but I also saw a future there. So, yeah, it took me till I was 28 to move in. Now I've been in London over 20 years. So I think as long as I live in London, I I won't live anywhere else. I love the possibility here. I also love the culture, being able to go to gigs, football, restaurants, bars, all on my doorstep. I still get a, a thrill of walking in the thick of it. So I don't think that will ever change.
0: I've never been. My son actually went last summer with a school group. Oh, wow. What does he think? He loved it. He thought it was great. He spent, I think, five days in London and then two days in Paris. Okay.
1: Yeah. I love Paris as well. Like I said, I love big cities. I mean, I also love the country as well. So I'm, you know, all of it. I just love everything I do. (laughs) (laughs) No, you should definitely
0: come. And if you come, we can meet. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Kate Castle will probably have me crapsing all over the country. We'll meet you somewhere for a drink. (laughs) Okay.
1: That sounds good. I know a really good cocktail bar in the center of London. I can tell you where to eat. But the cocktail bar is you have to go through a bookcase. It's down some stairs and hidden and it does very good cocktails.
0: OK, yeah, I like that already going through a bookcase. Right. That's perfect for us, right? It's perfect. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Several of your books have been translated into other languages which books and what languages could I read if I had an unlimited grasp of other languages? Wouldn't it be
1: great to have an unlimited grasp of other languages? Um, I always always just feel terrible when I go to other countries because so many people do have a grasp of so many languages. But, um, it's not something that I ever did, and I think it's very hard to learn in later life, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> translations are something that I've been wanting to do for a few years, and then I think now I have four German translations out, two Brazilian Portuguese, and I did those by German ones by a German publisher, Portuguese by a Brazilian publisher. And last year, <laughs> I did my first independently published translation, so I hired a narrator. And produced it myself so I just wanted to do that just to see what the process was but it's weird doing translations because it's great and I love having them out there and I love that my books are getting out so many different parts of the world and readers are able to read them in the languages that they want but the only thing is that when you get the book you don't understand any of it so it's a weird thing really weird <laughs> seeing your name on the cover but you don't,
0: <laughs> you don't what know the, the hell the words, words are <laughs>
1: yeah (laughs) and so when I did my own translation I had to choose the translator very carefully so luckily I have some Italian readers on my mailing list and they got three or four translators to do a bit about a thousand words of the book and then they chose the one they wanted which which happily uh, she was also the cheapest so that never happens doesn't (laughs) it so but she was absolutely fantastic to work with and I do think translating is basically you're rewriting the book right you've got to get the nuance i have a lot of british humor in my books and whoever's translating it has to understand that and translate it into whatever language the slang of their language i guess so choosing the right narrator is really really important luckily the italian one i did everyone says how what a great translation it is so well done to her and similarly with the german and portuguese i think i've been very lucky but a a good translator can make or break you so but I'm hoping to get more books out in those languages, and I really want to do French as well. We'll see. It's a work in
0: progress. Very nice. You were once a music journalist. Which artists from today would you like to interview?
1: This was pretty easy. I think it would have to be Taylor. I'm a huge country fan. I, again, I like all sorts of music, but I'm a huge country fan. I loved her early albums. I loved her when she was deeply unfashionable. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the Red album, and I really loved that. Now she's huge. I think I'd probably be too nervous to interview her, but... Um, but she would be a good one. The journey she's gone on is incredible. She'd make a great static right now, wouldn't she? I also love Marin Morris. I think what she's done with her career is incredible. And she's written some bangers. Same with Brandy Clark. And Janelle Monet is another one. I'd really love to interview her. We went to Paris to see her. I love supporting female artists as well. The older I get, the more I am very much heading
0: over towards supporting the female artists more. Yeah, me too. And I just recently gave in and became a Swifty. She's amazing.
1: She really is. I mean, I think she's using her platform now as a force for change as well. And she's really going back to her roots with her latest albums. I haven't really listened to Midnight's Loads, but I I loved Folklore and Evermore. So I liked her pop stuff as well, really. So, I mean, being a music journalist and I've been to, you know, hundreds of gigs. It's one of my New Year's resolutions, actually, is to listen to more new music. I'm a huge podcast fan as well. And I think when I go on walks, I tend to listen to podcasts more. So I need to make time to
0: listen to new music because it does nourish the song. It does. I usually do audiobooks when I'm walking or driving even. So I feel like I'm missing a lot of music. I need to get back to that too. Yeah.
1: I think we used to always listen to music more. And now there's too many other things, which are great. Like I've always been a huge radio fan. But I tend to listen to talk like, you know, sort of news and sport radio now rather than music radio. Whereas my wife, she listens to pop stations. So um, (laughs)
0: she keeps me updated. (laughs) That's good. How did you meet your wife? And what would you title the book based on your story?
1: We met via friends at a bar the old-fashioned way i was actually seeing someone at the time so i just come back from traveling the world with my then girlfriend and my mate said to me oh, I've, I've got a new mate and she's coming along for a drink and so and then we were left together in this bar for like 20 minutes and my friend was late anyway but we we got on really well from the moment we met but like i say i was with somebody then we became friends and then me and my um, ex split up and then we didn't get together for another 18 months so oh, wow. So we were mates first, and then we got together, and that was 17 years ago, so time flies. We got married in 2014, the same year my first book was published, so it was a big year. And what would be the title of the book based on your story? I, <laughs> oh God, I don't know. <laughs> I find titles so difficult to come up with for my books, so this pressure question. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of trying to come up with a title for my football book, so I don't know. Can I pass
0: that one? You can. I don't <laughs> want to stress you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you host a podcast with T.B. Markinson called Lesbians Who Write. Tell us about the podcast and how that pairing came about.
1: So I was doing a podcast called The Lesbian Book Club for six years prior to that, and that was an interview-based format. And it was fantastic. I really enjoyed doing that because it means you get to meet people, right, as you know. It's a great networking tool. You learn things and you meet lovely people. So I really enjoyed doing that. But it was a lot of work, like, as I'm sure you know as well, getting <laughs> in touch with people, scheduling interviews, all of that. It's a lot of work. So I decided that I was going to stop that one sometime in the future. And I, but I thought I'd still love doing podcasts. So I thought maybe I should do one that teams me up with another author and we can just talk about the business of writing and we can have a, a topic every week. And T.B. Markinson, she used to live in London, so we met up for drinks. We got on really well. And so we've been out a couple of times and then I saw TV on a panel at Elcon in 2017 and I thought, she really knows what she's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, when I met her in the pub, I thought she didn't know what she was talking about yeah, at all. Exactly. But, you know, on that panel, <laughs> she sounded very professional. So I proposed it over drinks one night during Elcon 2017 and she said yes. Yeah, so, And that's where it all started. And we really like doing it. We like to sort of do it to help other authors. But I think it's not just authors who listen in. I think readers like it as well because we try to entertain and inform. Um, and I think many readers listen in just to hear us natural on about our lives because it's quite kind of half about our lives and what we're doing and then half about topics. topic. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we've done 170 episodes so far. Oh, wow. Impressive. Yeah.
0: And we are forging on to 2023. I've listened to it. I haven't listened to a lot, but I definitely plan to listen to more of it.
1: You haven't listened to all 170 episodes? Before? I know. I'm sorry. I,
0: I really don't know what I'm doing <laughs> with my life. I don't know. <laughs> Listening to audio books, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I blame Abby Craden for all of it.
1: Oh, yeah. Abby, Abby Craden has got a lot to answer for.
0: She really does. You've co-written with both TB and Harper Bliss. Do you plan any more collaborations in the future?
1: None on the cards. I did have another co-writer in the works, but life got in the way of that a bit last year. It still might happen. We've got the book all outlined. Um, it's a new co-writer. But yeah, so maybe we haven't been in contact about getting more stuff done this year. But the collaborations for TV and Harper were great. And they both came about because I interviewed them on, the pod- on my podcast and got on with them and met them in real life. So podcasting is really helpful and can actually change your life. So I think I prefer writing solo, but I do think that I learned a lot and got a lot from doing collaborations. So I wouldn't say no to doing the other one, but at the moment there's nothing on the cards.
0: What three books that you read in 2022 were your favorite?
1: Well, if we're talking about sapphic fiction... I think J.J. Arias, Destination U was great, wasn't
0: it? Oh, I love that book. I love all of her books. And she's just absolutely delightful. Her and I talked, and now we email all the time back and forth, because she's just a sweetheart.
1: Oh, right, cool. Yeah, I actually did listen to that one in preparation coming on. So (laughs) it it was really nice to hear her voice, actually. And, yeah, she seems actually lovely. And I I love that. That was my first book I'd ever read of hers, and I really was impressed. Uh, I thought it was Steamy, dreamy, smart, and perfect. That was a line from my review. Okay. I also liked Ashley Herring Blake's Delilah Green Doesn't Care. Funny, snarky, emotional. And Laura Kay's Tell Me Everything was brilliant. That's a very warm, life-affirming British rom-com with loads of queer characters.
0: I haven't read that one yet. I'll have to look for it.
1: Yeah, I do. And outside of fiction, I liked Matt Hague's The Midnight Library was great. And Josie Silver's One Night on the Island. Um, that's a straight romance, but it's it's just... Gorgeous writing. I absolutely, I absolutely love her books. So yeah, those two
0: outside of subject fiction. Straight people need love too, right? <laughs> they do. Yes. <laughs> I can appreciate it. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've watched Notting Hill about eight hundred times. I'm not ashamed. Exactly. A yeah. <laughs> what or who makes you laugh?
1: So I have to say, my wife. She always says people think I'm funny, but she's actually the funny one, and she's right. And um, she is. So well, there you go. I've said it, yeah. darling. The other things, the Gilmore Girls, I don't know if you're a fan. Uh, yes, I had to be. Yeah. Anything Amy Sherman Palladino writes, I love. I think the marvellous Mrs. Maisel is just a comedy masterclass. But she always picks amazing actors as well. So the Gilmore Girls is my comfort TV. And I would have to say the current form of Tottenham Hotspurs, which is my beloved football team. The men and women are truly rubbish at the moment. So you with a laugh we cry, so I choose <laughs> laughter.
0: That's a good way to look at it. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Claire, thanks, so much. Yeah. I wish you all the best.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun.
0: Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again to Claire Lydon for joining me. To learn more about Claire and find links to purchase her books, visit clairelydon.co.uk. You can also purchase her books on Amazon. To support this podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash or join my Patreon at patreon.com slash sapphicbookreviewpod, where you can hear your favorite authors play Would You Rather. Here's a sample of this week's with Claire Leiden. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, happy reading. Would you rather spend Christmas with Fran and Ruby from Christmas in Mistletoe, or Morgan and Allie from The Christmas Catch?
1: Then I have to be Fran and Ruby again, I think, just <laughs> purely because... They're in mistletoe, and I want to go to the bar. My other thing was thinking, oh, but Morgan and Ali have got a, a pub. Clearly, I am a bit bar and pub obsessed. At my, <laughs> but uh,
0: would you rather have to get your head shaved or your nose pierced? <laughs> Ooh,
1: <laughs> I've had my nose pierced, and I really didn't like it, so um, I'd probably say, well, no, I'd probably still go nose pierced again. <laughs> but mm, maybe I don't know. No, no, change my mind. Head shaved. I've always kind of wondered what it would look like, so. Yeah, maybe not. I had my nose pierced when I was in my 20s, and I, it was no end of bother for a year. So to I took it out. Like, you can't blow your nose without the snot coming out of the hole. Okay. Yeah,
0: that's bad. Yeah. yeah.
1: Do you want to know more? <laughs> <laughs>